0: Today we return to consider the teaching of the Lord Jesus on the end times as he taught his disciples in his Olivet Discourse found in Matthew chapter 24. We'll be looking at verses 32 through 35, so if you have your Bible handy, you might want to turn there. As you do, let me welcome you to the Bread of Life radio program. We're sponsored by the International Disciple-Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism, and by its Associate Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, the Bread of Life. To learn more about these ministries, go to breadoflifeboise.org or traincpe.org. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and it's my pleasure to open God's Word with you. As we'll see today, the Lord Jesus talks with His disciples about a day that is off in the future, a day they will not live to meet. And yet, as He teaches them, He puts them in the very hour of those last days. He says to them, when you see these things. It is as if the Lord Jesus wants his disciples to be prepared for his coming at any time, as if he wants us to run the drill of his return and to personally hone a right response to his coming. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near, or it is near, as how it might be in many of your translations, at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I'd have you just take a note as we begin our passage here that the application to what we're reading here to a large extent is what the Lord Jesus says in this last verse heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away the Lord Jesus actually uses on two different other occasions a similar phrase but on those occasions he says that the law of God or the word of God or the scriptures cannot be broken heaven and earth will pass away but the law or scriptures of God will not pass away and now the Lord Jesus speaks of his own words standing the exact same place he speaks with that same kind of prophetic authority he's calling his disciples, to put their hope and their trust and their focus on what he has said and they're to remember his word when everything around them is, in a sense, being fulfilled and all the awful things that he is proclaiming and prophesying, even in this passage, are being fulfilled. We just want to make an observation right off the bat from the passage that we've just read. Let your eyes focus in on verses 32 through 35, but having read the rest of the passage, you'll have picked up on this as well. And let's make an observation here. Let's just say this. The Lord Jesus is interested in his people in every age. The Lord Jesus is interested in his people in every age. As he speaks, as he teaches, as he instructs, as he answers James and John and Peter, his interest is not only in James and John and Peter. He's interested in his people and those who come up after them in every age. And he's interested in us. And he's interested in those who come after us. And he speaks his words directly to people in every age. What I want you to consider here are the pronouns that are being used. Jesus is speaking to James and John and Peter in answer to a couple questions that they've asked. Basically they've asked, he's told them that the temple is about to be destroyed. They say, when is the time that, when will what will be the sign of that taking place and when will it happen? And they conflate this with the end of the age, the end of that period of time that will then be taken over by the Messiah coming and reigning upon the earth and that's the end of the age. When will be the sign of the end of the age and of your appearing? They put them together. The Lord Jesus to a large extent in his answer will allow these to be mixed together and help together to some extent, although there are subtle things Christ says that pull them apart from their understanding and for their consideration as time goes on and as time goes by, but they've asked this question, and in answer, Jesus speaks to them of certain things that will take place. In fact, in answer to the question, when what will, will be the sign of the temple's destruction, you'll find the answer given in Luke chapter 21. By the way, here's another thing that we've mentioned before, but Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21 Matthew chapter 24 are all recounting the all of it discourse. That's what this is called. This moment of time when the Lord Jesus is particularly speaking to these three of his disciples and giving him this instruction. In Luke 21, the Lord Jesus tells them that the sign of Jerusalem's destruction will be its surrounding by an army. And it was surrounded in about 66 AD. Four years before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. And it was fulfilled. And so he gives them that prophecy. And then the Lord Jesus telescopes out from that point in time in his answer to the question to the end of the age and those things related to the end of the age. And he tells them of an unknown time that's beyond them, which he will later reveal to them he doesn't exactly know himself. Only the Father knows. But an end of the age when a... Individual rise up who is the Antichrist, and he will appear in a future temple, and he will make himself the object of worship. And the Lord Jesus references him by referring to him as the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel. And you can find that the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 11 applied this image of the abomination of desolation to a leader that came up at the end of the Greek Empire by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. It happened between the Old Testament period and the New Testament period and he took over the temple, he set up the worship of the God one Zeus, I think it was, the Greek god Zeus, and he allowed himself to be considered the epiphany or the embodiment of Zeus, and he ended the sacrifices in the temple, and he called the people of Israel to worship him. That led to a great revolt, and ultimately he was overthrown by the Maccabeans, and that was known as the abomination of desolation. It's spoken of very clearly through a series of very clear prophetic statements that Daniel gave some 400 years prior to the event that Daniel gave of this dissolution of the Greek empire and this intrigue of this man that comes upon and establishes himself to be worshipped in the temple, the abomination of desolation. But then in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel speaks again of this, but now he projects it to the end of the age and to a time period that will take place at the end of the age in the middle of what God had revealed to him to be a seven-year tribulation. And in the middle of that seven-year tribulation, he speaks again of this abomination of desolation that will rise up. In the middle of that period and so he's projecting from that story of Antiochus Epiphanes a projection of prophecies that goes to the end of the age in the same way the Lord Jesus is taking this story of the destruction of the temple that's coming ahead in 70 AD and he projects it out to the end of the age in the same pattern that Daniel does we mentioned this last week but Paul refers to this Antichrist He refers to this evil one as the embodiment or the culmination of and the concentration of all the false Christs and all the Antichrists that have risen up prior to that time. And as the Antichrist rises up, he also has alongside of him one who is considered the prophet, who is in a sense the epitome of all the false prophets that come in the end of the age. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, Paul describes this evil one. He calls him the man of sin and the man of lawlessness. In verse 3... And then it says this in verse 4, who, quote, opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. It's very similar to what happened with Antiochus Epiphanes back in the intertestamental period, or that history between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, but now as something that's projected out at the end of times. And But here's what I want you to see. So the Lord Jesus is referring to and directing them something that's going to come at the very end of the age. Here's what I want you to see, though. As the Lord Jesus answers James and John and Peter, I want you to see the pronoun that he uses. You, he says, you. In Matthew 24, verse 15, for example, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, verse 33 that we've just read, when you see all these things, you know that he's near at the very gates. Now, what we know is that of all of those three, only John was living at the time that Jerusalem was overtaken by the Romans and General Titus was his name and Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and we also know that John wasn't in Jerusalem at that time so he didn't see these things take place and we know that none of them are going to be around at the end of the age when the abomination of desolation takes place and the man of lawlessness is revealed that Paul was talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2.4 it hasn't happened yet and yet when the Lord Jesus speaks to them He speaks to them using this term, you. He puts them in that moment, in that time. And how are we to understand these things? How are we to make sense that the Lord Jesus answers these three with this pronoun, you, when you see this, when you see this? And all through this prophecy, all through the Olivet Discourse, he speaks to them as you. And I think what we need to understand is that the Lord Jesus, as he speaks to them, is pressing forward to speak to those upon whom these events will fall. The Lord Jesus is interested in those who in the hour of that moment will be alive and they will have access to his words and he speaks directly to them in that hour and he wants them to understand and discern what is happening in that moment and his words will warn them of that hour and they will also encourage them in that hour. And so the Lord Jesus, in a sense, is speaking all the way out to those who will be present at that moment when they see these things taking place. At the same time, we have to understand that Jesus is answering James and John and Peter and he wants them to hear the instruction that he's giving for themselves. He wants them to mentally, in a sense, put themselves in that hour and to provoke from them the same kind of anticipated faith that will be needed for those who that hour will actually come upon them and will actually take place. So in the same way I would say this, that the Lord Jesus is speaking to us. He's telling us that in a sense we must have that same kind of anticipatory faith to recognize that his words will be fulfilled and we must be willing in a sense to project ourselves just as Christ was projecting James and John and Peter into that hour, we must be willing to project ourselves into that hour. Because the test in the midst of that truth is how will we respond? What will we trust in? That will be the test for those who actually go through it and experience it. Do you ever, by the way, run any drills in your imagination? Do you imagine scenarios or situations and think through your mind what you might do in a case of a great emergency? Our home right now has been approved by the government to give us permission. This just happened in the last year. We now have the government's permission to take care of our son, Jack Henry. As you know, Jack Henry has some significant handicaps. But in order to go on with the government's permission to take care of Jack Henry, Every month we have to have a fire drill in our home. We have to pretend the house is on fire and we have to find our way of escape and we have to know where we're going to meet and we've got to get Jack out of the house and we do it every week. We, we have some kind of exercise, we run some kind of drill in case that situation might take place and come upon us. I think as we look at this passage that the Lord Jesus wants his disciples to run the drill. Just after this, the Lord Jesus will say, of that hour, no man knows except for my father. Maybe it's possible that the Lord Jesus doesn't know whether James and Peter and John will be the yous, the ones that will see that hour. Maybe he doesn't know that it will be us or others. But he speaks in such a way that they run the drill They run the experience through their own minds, and they consider their own response to the situation, and ultimately, the outcome of the response is they're to trust in His Word, they're to endure, they're to look to Him, they're to count upon Him, they're to, we are to run the drill. We're to live not ruling ourselves out from anything that might come before us, and that Christ speaks of, but consider it as something that we must at least be willing to enter into in our minds, and Having said all that, by the way, I'll just tell you just if anyone's curious, I believe in what's called a pre tribulation or rapture. I believe that the Lord Jesus is coming. I'm anticipating that I'll be raptured and be, if he should come and the tribulation should come upon us. My anticipation is that I'll be raptured out of that experience. We don't find this in this passage. I've not been preaching on it. I have a, a reason for why I believe this and, and that's that the Bible reveals to us a certain sense of eminency of Christ's return for his people. That it could come at any time and at any moment. And it's not merely impending This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.